0: One, two, three, go. Feminist Mormon Housewives. Feminist. Hello, and welcome back to another episode Mormon. of the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast. Housewives. I'm your host, Lindsay, and we are returning for a year of polygamy. Are you sick of it yet? I don't think so. The downloads have been crazy on this series. So thank you for listening and supporting this. Uh, We are walking through currently The Wives of Joseph Smith. We still have some to go. But the reason why we're doing this is twofold. First, while I was getting my other research, research in order, while I'm still getting my other research in order, it's a lot of research to bring you subsequent podcast episodes. I have already done the research on Joseph Smith's Wives, and um, when I say I, I mean I'm just building upon lots of the good scholarship and research that's already out there. So that is why we're going um, in that direction. And secondly, these stories individually tell us a lot about how the practice was implemented in Nauvoo. So I think they're very telling with that. So tonight we are going to talk about Martha McBride Knight. Knight with a K. She has a famous Mormon name as well. You can read the text of the post by clicking the links on the podcast, or you can buy Todd Compton's In Sacred Loneliness. He was one of the people who brought us a lot of the original primary sources on these stories. Martha McBride would be one of Joseph's older wives. Again, he married a wide uh, variety of women according to their ages, and she was one of the older wives. Martha was born on March 17th. In 1805, so her birthday is coming up, in New York, she would be the youngest of nine kids, and her parents were Daniel McBride, who happened to be a pre-Campbellite minister, and Abigail Mead. Now, there are some Campbellite doctrines that kind of bleed into Mormonism, so she would be well set to um, adopt sort of the Mormon theology. At age 21, she married Vincent Knight. Famous name. Son of Dr. Rudolphus Knight and Ritzba Lee, who was the daughter of the American Revolutionary War Captain Shara Lee So she and Vincent settled down in Perrysburg, and they have four kids. And Vincent would be really successful selling farm produce, and his family lived comfortably there. Eight years later, while they were living in New York, uh, they met Joseph Smith, and together they joined the church. In June of 1835... Martha and her family decide to move to Kirtland to gather with the saints. They moved into a nice house on the corner of Codry uh, and Joseph Streets near the Kirtland Temple. And the home is still standing, and there's a picture, there's a great picture of it in the post that I wrote. Um, and when you go to Kirtland, you can see the Vincent Knight home. Thinking that they had found the truth, uh, Vincent wrote a letter to his mother, quote, Now you think that your priests are holy. I do not know the foundation you stand on. I do know that the foundation you stand on is an abomination in the sight of God. He continued, We are blessed with the privilege of going to meetings such as we have never had before. End quote. So he's pretty confident about the new gospel that he found. Because of problems of apostasy and mob persecution, they would uh, go with the saints to Nauvoo. And there's also their home in Nauvoo. It's this beautiful red brick home surrounded by a lot of greenery. In Nauvoo, Martha was a founding member of the Relief Society. Um, She was present when it organized on March 17, 1842, which also happened to be her birthday. She turned 37 when that happened. Vincent was appointed bishop of one of the three Nauvoo wards. So there were three wards at the time when this had all started. About the same time, Joseph taught Vincent the doctrine of plural marriage, and Vincent would soon take a second wife, Philindra Merrick. Their family history suggests... That Martha was told by Joseph Smith that she was the first woman to give her consent for the husband to enter a plural marriage. So they say that she was, you know, the very first woman to to do that. The story goes that Martha knew something was bothering her husband and couldn't tell what it was. And one night she was sitting in the grape arbor behind the house and Vincent returned returned home carrying a basket. He explained... He explained to Martha that he had taken some fruit and vegetables to Philindia Clark, Eldridge, Merrick, the widow of Levi and Merrick, whose husband had been killed in the Hans Mill massacre. Vincent explained to Martha that he had been told to enter plural marriage and that if he had to, this sister Merrick would be the one he could help best. Martha's reply is said to have been, is that all? Philindia Merrick was also a founding member of the Relief Society. In a memoir of Martha's daughter, Adeline, Adeline writes how on January 19th, 1841, when the children were at school and the door burst open and Hiram Smith and her father carried the limp form of Joseph Smith, the children were really upset at his pale face. His face was pale as death, but his eyes were open. Someone with the men explained that Joseph was, quote, in a revelation. They carried him into the office where he dictated the Doctrine and Covenants 124. And the Knight family are mentioned in that verse. So this is how they said that, you know, 124 happens. They carry Joseph and he's limp. His face looks strange, but his eyes are wide open and he's just talking. He's talking. He's in a revelation, which I think was meant that joseph was like transported his body was on earth but his mind was somewhere else in mid-1842 vincent became sick with excessive vomiting which is possibly dysentery joseph's joseph smith's diary record records quote brother knight had been sick about a week and this morning he began to sink very fast until 12 o'clock when death put a period to his sufferings end quote less than a month after vincent's death martha married joseph smith With Heber C. Kimball performing the ceremony, shortly after the marriage, her five-year-old daughter passed away from the measles, so she lost her husband, and then she lost her five-year-old daughter. Martha's oldest daughter, Almira, was 17 and was approached by many men in the community. One was a widower in his early 40s, Sylvester Stoddard, who was very opposed to polygamy. He was courting Almira when Joseph inquired about her, wondering if she would be willing to become a plural wife of his brother, Hiram. Martha discussed the issue with her daughter, but Almira refused and instead married Sylvester, and the couple left Nauvoo shortly after, and they left Mormonism. Martha's oldest daughter, Adeline, would follow her mother's path, path by entering polygamy by marrying gilbert belknap many years later martha received a letter from her eldest daughter Almira, discussing her apprehension about polygamy quote i can never like polygamy for it has robbed my sister and her family of their duties by dividing substance between more than the law allows and what is still worse divided affection worse than none at all would have killed me in a very little time but god spared me my heart bleeds for her write soon from your affectionate daughter end quote since Elmira mentions her sister in this letter, she was perhaps unaware that her mother, Martha, was also a plural wife of Joseph Smith. We don't know that. You can see a text uh, picture of that letter on the site as well. After Joseph Smith was killed in 1844, Martha famously kept a locket of Joseph's hair, which she proudly treasured throughout his life. If you go down to the DUP Museum in uh, Salt Lake City, you can see a lock of Joseph Smith's hair there. Uh, only a few months later, she would marry Heber C. Kimball and headed to Utah with several of Heber's wives. For months, she lived in Salt Lake City with three of Heber's 39 wives. Although she lived most of her life with relatives in Ogden and Weber County areas, essentially living apart from Heber, but she lived with the Belknap family, which would be the polygamist family that her daughter married into. So Gilbert Belknap, who was married to Martha's daughter Adeline, was. Called to settle the Ogden area, and their first home would be a dugout in the side of the hill on Canfield Creek in Sullivan Hollow, at about 30th Street and Madison Avenue. And a lot of the early saints lived in these dugouts while they were first when they first came to the Salt Lake Valley. These dugouts were literally what the name says. It was a dugout inside of the mud, and they would you know try to have some sort of makeshift roof. And Adeline recalls their struggle getting settled in Ogden. She would write, quote. I have been so hungry. I couldn't see across the room, and I could span the waist of my bo- waste of my baby. I was nursing. My little boys were like skeletons. It would make you cry to look at them End quote so it was a really difficult time um a lot of poverty again, a lot of the wealth was kept centrally in Salt Lake City, and a lot of these saints that had to go first leave you know their home several times. And settle in Nauvoo, and then leave Nauvoo and come to Utah, would have to then again leave Salt Lake and go settle somewhere else. Which was constantly resettling and making, making a new home out of an old one. On the journey to Ogden, Martha was thrown beneath the wagon, which ran her over. And her body would be lifeless, found lying down in the dust. It was carried by Gilbert back to the dugout home and the neighbors gathered around to revive her. So imagine being run over by a wagon and being taken to a dugout, being, let, you know, laid back down in the dirt. Martha said after she recovered that she saw her body as it lay, lie in the dust and at the house as if she was standing to one side with the rest of the people looking on. Martha was struggling as well, although she and Ad- Adeline were actively involved in the Relief Society. Um, at one point, she wrote in, her, wrote in a letter to her daughter Adeline, quote, To tell you all my feelings would be hard to do, but feel some like a wanderer, for truly I have not a home on the earth. I do not know where I shall go, nor what I shall do. I have no one to look to, but the Lord alone. I trust him and do not despair, end quote. So her polygamous marriage to Heber C. Kimball was obviously not really a marriage at all. She felt very alone, didn't feel like she had a home, even though she was living with her daughter's family. Martha became well-known for her gift of sewing. According to her obituary, her needlework was a model for fineness amongst all her acquaintances for the past 50 years. On June 22, 1868, Heber C. Kimball passed away, and Martha continued to live with her son-in-law Gilbert Belknap and his wife's Adeline Knight. And Henrietta McBride, and there are some amazing photos of her. She's just, just looks like the perfect pioneer woman. I I would definitely encourage you to go look at some of these incredible photos on the site. Martha is recorded as a dogged temple worker, doing endow- endowments and ordinance work. So she spent a lot of her last years doing that. On November twentieth, nineteen oh one, Martha died peacefully in Hooper, Utah. At the age of 96, due to old age, she is buried in the Ogden City Cemetery in the Belknap Plot. So thank you for uh, listening to this episode. I'm going to try to get another one up this week. This takes a little bit of my time, but I'm happy to do it. And I hope you're enjoying the Feminist Warren Housewives podcast. Leave your comments and feedback in the comment section at org.